0: Every week, journalists at the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications report important stories for the people in the North Central Florida area and beyond.
1: Um, She wants them to be heard. She wants them to listen to each other. She wants them to have productive discussions.
0: It was like a memorial service for those
2: victims who never got the chance to have their peace. So it's going to set the precedent for um, the future of of transgender um, rights. This
0: is The Rewind. From WUFT, a look at some of the strongest reporting coming out of our newsroom in a discussion with the journalists who write these stories. I'm your host today Ariana Esbiru and let's dive into the stories from this week. Young people from all over Alachua County were inducted into the newly formed Youth Activities Advisory Council. Nearly 20 kids took the oath led by Judge Gloria Walker to serve in this new initiative. WUFT's Alan Hilleli was there producer Melissa Fato spoke with him about the new council and what it means for the youth of Alachua County. Alan begins by taking us through the council's origins.
1: I'm Naquanda Jaw, who is the executive director of the Cultural Arts Coalition here in Gainesville. Um, over the summer, you know, she works with youth all the time. She kind of noticed that uh, along with a lot of this rising gun violence across the city uh, and the county, um, that Uh, it wasn't just really inherent to Gainesville. Um, It is a problem that is affecting the county and I think North Central Florida at large. Um, And it's really been spiking among youth. So when she noticed that, she thought, hey, why don't I get a group of students together um, and create that space and and do this in kind of a grassroots level um, to create a safe space for um, maybe a handful, a little over a dozen um, students from across Alachua County uh, bring them together and show them you don't necessarily have to turn to to gang violence and gun violence to have a stable job to um, you know live and thrive and and have money and um, there are other options. You know she reached out to leaders from all across North Central Florida, um, mostly Alachua County, you know Waldo, Hawthorne, Micanope, um, and here in Gainesville as well. Um, And she kind of brought them together. And on Monday, um, they had their official induction. There were leaders there like Gainesville Mayor Lauren Poe. Um, You know, all of the county commissioners, I think, for the most part, were there. Uh, A couple city commissioners were there, and they were all there to support um, these young people.
3: So how many students are in this Youth Activities Advisory Council, and what kind of kids did it attract?
1: I believe there were about 15 students there that night. Um, I did ask Naquanda, you know, is this something that you want to open up uh, for more students along the line? And she said, no. I mean, this is something that she wants to um, keep small because it is, um, she wants them to be heard. She wants them to listen to each other. She wants them to have productive discussions. Um, so she's trying to keep it under 20. Um, and they are co- they represent different organizations from across Alachua County. Um, I spoke with some who... Um, represent the Willie May Stokes Center in Micanopy, some from the Star Center here in Gainesville, which is like a local theater group, um, and... You know, they're just all coming together to discuss things, um, you know, pursue mentorship from some of these resources that Naquanda has that she does want to redistribute um, being a local leader.
3: I'm hearing several different um, facets of this council's activity. So one is to design activities for the students to do or for the kids to do. Another is a mentorship opportunity. Is the idea that these kids will go back to their communities, their group of friends and be a leader in that group?
1: I I think so. I think the the goal is to um you know maybe somebody like um Elijah who I have in the in the beginning of my story um who wants to be a lawyer um Judge Gloria Walker um who represents the eighth circuit court, that's somebody that he never would have heard from if it weren't for this group. So being able to kind of bring those experiences with people that he never would have been introduced to, um, both students and local leaders, um, to be in these spaces that he hasn't been invited to before, to be able to kind of bring that back and and show that to his friends and and people in his community will have that kind of ripple effect
3: So the county commissioner, Charles Chestnut, was there and he said something interesting. He said, as adults, we don't listen to you, but you've got a lot to say to us. Is there any indication that um, these kids might also have a voice in local government?
1: That's a great question. And that's one that I definitely asked Naquanda as well. Um, You know, one of the things that I found really poignant and interesting was after uh, Judge Gloria Walker walked the... Um, dozen or so kids through their oath um, to listen to each other, to attend the meetings, that sort of thing. They walked. They called up the parents as well as the elected officials. Um, people like County Commissioner Anna Prizia, uh, Mayor Helen Wheeler, um, people like Gainesville Mayor Lauren Poe, uh, and they made she made them also take an oath to listen to the students, to be more invested in the people that they serve. Um, cause I think, um, uh, you know, Charles Chestnut, he did say, uh, in his in opening remarks that when Naquanda, uh, brought some of those kids to the County Commission, I believe it was in early August, he was surprised. I mean, this isn't a, a demographic that engages with local government. Um, they're not showing up to the County Commission meetings and and right. engaging with public comment. They're not in a voting age. Right. Um, and to just be able to hear that, They also think that gun and gang violence is a problem in their communities, um, both here in Gainesville and in some of these more rural cities in Alachua County, is something that he was surprised about to hear that firsthand. Um, And I think that, you know, creating a space, whether it's, you know, whether Charles Chestnut takes a vested interest in one of the kids and becomes their mentor or not, um, just being able to have that access that they would never have had before. Um, even some of these kids that never really make it to Gainesville. Um, of course, it is the larger town in the county, but, um, you know, often there's issues of transportation and your run-of-the-mill 13-year-old from Hawthorne Middle School isn't necessarily going to have the ear of the mayor of of Gainesville. Um, so... I think that's another really interesting and unique opportunity that this council can provide.
3: And of course, these kids have parents. So what were the parents' feelings to having their kids um, inducted into this brand new group?
1: I think it really was a sense of pride. Um, you know, one of the the parents I spoke to that is in my story, Letty Carter. Um, she's from Waldo. Um, and, you know, her kid is one of the most outspoken kids, I think, um, probably in what, that program there at the Waldo Recreation Area. Um, and when the coordinator was reached out to to try and nominate someone, um, it was her son. But, you know, she did talk about how there just really is a lack of of community resources um, in Waldo in terms of having things like a Boys and Girls Club. Um, you know, there really isn't solid public transportation. There really isn't a way for people from Waldo to come here to Gainesville um, to use some of these resources that we have here. Um, So I think that it's both just a sense of pride of having their kids be a part of something that is a positive change um, throughout the county, but also maybe it's, it's signaling that having more rural cities represented in things like this um, will become more common. I think that very often, you know, some of these people that live in the outskirts of Alachua County in these smaller towns feel like they aren't heard on places like the Alachua County Commission. So to have um, all of these youth uh, who the majority aren't from Gainesville is, a for her, a, a step in the positive direction. Um, And for the coordinator that I spoke to as well at the Waldo Recreation Area. Um, So I think that overall, it's just it's positive and just gives them a sense of belonging that they didn't have before.
3: So is there anything else that you think is important for the audience to know about this story?
1: I think it's just important to take note that listening to young people is important. Uh, I think we saw that with Parkland. Uh, I think we, we've we been continuing to see that through youth advocacy. Um, you know, Right now, there's the Don't Say Gay bill that a lot of youth are organizing against here in Florida. I think it's just time for local leaders to have a formalized um, system to make sure that they're listening to all of their constituents, even those not of voting age, um, because they really can have and impact and, and bring you a new perspective.
0: That was producer Melissa Fato speaking with WUFT reporter Alan Halaley about the newly formed Youth Activities Advisory Council in Alachua County. We'll be right back. Big ideas are reshaping our world. From our jobs. If
4: they're paying you way more than you expected to get, ask yourself, what is it exactly they want you to do? To what we
2: eat. That message that we've finally made the sweet that your body wants, yeah, that ad changed the world. New ideas come to
0: life every week on Innovation Hub. Sunday morning at 11 on WUFT 89.1 90.1. Welcome back to The Rewind from WUFT. Residents across Alachua County gathered to honor five lynching victims in a soil ceremony last Saturday. Producer Malia Leiden spoke with WUFT's Summerlay Jones about the ceremony and its significance to the community.
5: So the soil ceremony began when the Alachua County Commission and the Alachua NAACP decided that they were going to go and visit the Legacy Museum in Alabama. Um, which was founded by Brian Stevenson, the um, civil rights activist um, lawyer. And the whole museum centers around this whole idea with the Equal Justice Initiative about um, truth and reconciliation. And so a part of that is that the Legacy Museum decided that they were going to visit, research was done to understand throughout all of the United States where these lynchings occurred And then they dove even deeper to try to figure out the specific locations, the victims that were murdered. And then they selected it even further down to specifically Alachua County. And what they did was they're taking them um, city by city. So this specific event was Waldo, Hawthorne, Campville, and Rochelle. And then the five victims, um, there was an unidentified African-American boy. There was an unidentified African-American male. And then Charles Wiley, Henry White, and George Buddington, the unidentified African-American man. He was abducted from jail by a white mob, and then he was shot to death. He was whipped and lynched. And this was all while he was trying to defend himself because he was accused of trying to steal a suitcase from a passenger train. And this is all based off of accusations, right? So none of this was ever proven. You know, it was just the time period. It didn't matter whether it was real fact or not. These people were lynched. And then we have the, there was an unidentified African-American child who was accused of burglary and arson, and then he was actually hung from a beam of a storage building. His body remained there for a few days, and hundreds of people came to just look and see his body being hung from the storage beam. Charles Wiley, he was another victim from Rochelle. He was accused of using strong language towards a white man in his yard, he then took himself home to treat his injuries and then the mob found him and set fire to him while he was in his bed. And then Henry White from Canfield was another person who was abducted from a white mob in the waiting room of a train station. She was, there was a female being called upon by various white men and there was noise heard coming from her bedroom and they found him underneath her bed. Again, nothing was ever proven, but because of the time period, he was lynched. So he was held captive and um, hung from a tree nearby. And then George Buddington, the fifth one that was lynched, he was shot to death by another white mob in Campville, and he was accused of threatening a white woman who owed him money. And so he was the last fifth honored victim. They were all from the Waldo, Hawthorne, Campbell, and Rochelle areas.
4: Can you take me through the memorial service? What was that like? At first, when I got there, I truly didn't know what to
5: expect, but you could tell from the energy as soon as you got there that it was more of an event of community. The feeling that everyone was joining together to respect, it was like a memorial service for those victims who never got the chance to have their peace. And so it was just really a community event that was so strong and it just focused on like truth and reconciliation and remembering that if you refuse to recognize the past and like the Reverend Herring said, like all these speakers that work for the Alachua County Commission are are from these areas, you could just truly see that like this project was able to, I don't know, like remind us that if we don't recognize our past, then we're doomed to repeat it.
4: And can you tell me a little bit more about some of the perspectives you heard from? Some of the perspectives, honestly, they
5: all aligned very, very greatly with the point that was just said. Every time someone came on stage, they said the whole meaning of the memorials and everything that the Remembrance Project is trying to do all aligns with that idea that if we don't recognize the past with everything going on in society right now, and someone mentioned that, I believe it was Reverend Herring who said that, racial violence and political climate that is starting to become back to Jim Crow days, if we don't recognize that and make an effort to invoke change, then we're doomed to repeat history all over again.
4: Can you kind of take me through what happened at the soil ceremony? Can you
5: describe that to me? When I got there, there was, you know, an invocation. There was like a bunch of blessings to open up from the church. They had members of the African church give a drum call and libation, which was essentially to uproot ancestors and make sure that it was sacred ground that the ceremony was occurring on. There were candles lit by um, members of the Alachua County Commission to represent the five victims that were murdered. And it was just really incredible. I'd never been able to experience anything like the African church doing the drum call and libation was something again, like I learned so much from that experience and I don't know, It really touched me to be able to see something and to be able to bring this community together. Um, Trina Green, she sung beautiful songs that united the community. And people of all backgrounds, all ages, seeing everybody come together, like I said, was just something that I've never seen with my own eyes in the Gainesville community. And it was just
4: absolutely incredible, the energy that was there and the love that's in this community. What's something else specifically that you learned that stood out to you?
5: One of the most incredible things that I think the Alachua County uh, Community Remembrance Project, and they work with the Equal Justice Initiative, the idea of the soil ceremony itself, taking time to remember that this country has deep roots of racism within it, and that they're taking the initiative to learn what happened to these murdered victims and how can we bring peace or how can we try to invoke You know some sort of remembrance as a way to honor them so that their murders were not in vain the actual act of visiting these lynching sites taking the soil of where their blood sweat and tears were in the earth and then transporting them into two jars of soil and one stays in that county in that city and then the other one goes to the museum in Alabama and it's just a wall of people from the United States. And I remember speaking to Jackie Davis, one of the community liaisons for the project, and she said, you know, looking at these jars of soil and all the different colors, it, it's just unbelievable. You know, and it makes it that more real taking the soil from these sites. The fact that they take the effort to do all
4: this research is just remarkable. And what do you feel is the significance or biggest takeaway people should have from your story?
5: The biggest takeaway that people should, you know, when they read the story, I wrote it because even I was ignorant to the kind of deeply rooted racist history of Alachua County you know, and the main idea that everyone was trying to prove even within, you know, the ceremony itself was that if we fail to recognize what is going on in our community, let alone the entire United States, we are doomed to repeat our history. And so people need to recognize that this is a real ongoing issue.
4: And is there anything else you'd like to add or feel people should know about? I feel so, you know, lucky to have been able to
5: Report on this. I think that it was such an incredible experience. The people that I got to speak to, um, the first African American female for Orlando in the Ninth Circuit to win a contested race, you know, Orlando is my home. So when I interviewed her and she had her four year old son with her, and being able to watch him and his ancestors are from the city of Rochelle, to be able to put soil in that jar from the lynch victim from the city of Rochelle, I mean, it was just incredible to try and prove that. You know, it's important for all generations to learn and acknowledge.
0: That was Summerlay Jones on her story for WUFT News about the soil ceremony that honored five lynching victims in Waldo. We'll be right back. Behold the
1: shepherd tone, the Tinkerbell effect, Hillbilly humanism, the Overton window, hyperobjects, the Bill Gates problem, the Zuckerberg delusion.
0: Times are changing, and so is our
1: vocabulary.
2: Apotophobia, the public trust, the The anti-bandwagon fallacy, monopoly
1: and monopsony. Let On The Media be your guide as we explore the future together.
0: Sunday morning at 10 on WUFT 89.1 90.1. listening to The Rewind from WUFT. The 11th Circuit of Appeals heard oral arguments on Tuesday, February 22nd in Atlanta, Georgia. Among the three cases, the court heard Drew Adams versus St. Johns County School Board. Adams was born a biological female and originally enrolled in the district as one, but began transitioning in eighth grade. The case challenged a decision by the St. John's County School Board in St. Augustine not to allow Adams to use the boys' bathroom when he attended high school. Producer Sarah Mandile spoke with WUFT reporter Elise Elder about the details of the case and what it means for transgender rights in Florida.
2: Could you start us off by giving me just a brief summary of what your article is about? I had covered the oral arguments that were held this Tuesday, February 22nd. I was most interested in covering Drew Adams versus St. John's County School Board. He is a transgender male and a recent graduate from Nice High School. Um, During the time he was enrolled um, as a female in the fourth grade, however, um, during high school he started his transition um, after being diagnosed with gender dysmorphia. The policy of St. John's County School Board as it stands states that whatever the student's records and sexual orientation as were recorded on the enrollment when the student came to St. John's County School Board, um, that is the policy that they're going to adhere to uh, separate spaces. So They did deny him um, from using the boys' bathroom and this case is now in federal appeals court. after speaking with Drew on Tuesday, they seemed very hopeful. Um the mother um both her and Drew thought the judges asked really great questions. They were very inquisitive. Um they felt that they were very comfortable um but they also um there was some opposition from from some of the judges for sure. Um some were making testing hypothetical situations that involved non-transgender students in these separated spaces as well as um what uh, St. Johns County School Board policies did state um, in their documentation, in their uh, code of conduct. So um, there is no set decision from these oral arguments yet, uh, but the uh, plaintiffs are hopeful.
3: Could you go into some of the history on this case and what led to the event that you attended Tuesday?
2: Yeah, of course. There's There's been a, a lot of change in the transgender community just recently um, in, our, in our day and age. Um, and there's been a lot of pressure, especially because a lot of other circuits around the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals have ruled in favor of uh, the transgender community and transgender civil rights. So it, it's putting a bit of pressure on these judges um, to determine and set this precedent. This is sort of a follow-up piece for me because I had reported on a case of a transgender woman who um, started a case in Broward County. Um, she had attended a school there and she was challenging the Fairness in Women's Sports Act, which um, prohibits transgender women from competing in any sort of sports, whether it be um, an elementary level, the high school level, or at the collegiate level. So um, that was temporarily suspended because of the higher case level. This. Uh, Case with Drew Adams is at the federal appeals so it's going to set the precedent for um, the future of of transgender um, rights so it, it's definitely a turning point it's an inflection point so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it will pan out. Yeah what were some of the points that were brought up during the reconsideration on Tuesday? Um, so I actually didn't get to that. That's a, that's a separate situation. Um, I didn't get to attend. So I only, um, had the interviews with his lawyer as well as him and his mother afterwards. So I can't go too much into the specifics of what was said. I know we, I had said that they talked a lot about, um, the opposition side, um, wanted to give a lot of hypotheticals as to, um, let's say there was a biological man um that was in the bathroom and then a transgender man had came and they were starting to deviate um from like situations where the individual would be trying to enter the bathroom um for reasons that they did not specify or for any sort of um criminal acts and that was kind of uh one of the points that st john's county school board wanted to uh uh, elaborate on was that that they're trying to separate spaces to protect privacy rights of of students. Um, but then, uh, plaint the plaintiffs did argue that in their code of conduct they stated that any any criminal acts will be um, protected against in in any space of the school. So it, it doesn't make sense to prohibit a transgender male from using these uh, his the bathroom that they prefer how did you find the story and what was that process like it was an amazing experience all around um this was definitely the most extensive reporting that i've done the most on the ground in the field um like i had mentioned to you earlier i didn't get to attend i didn't get to go into the courthouse unfortunately for some personal reasons but i had waited until the oral arguments were done and um i sat <laughs> outside the courthouse waiting for drew and his mother and the attorney to come out um i spoke with them all it was a very very uh passionate conversation I guess you could say that I had with with Drew it was very um touching to hear from him and and his experience and especially his mom I mean they've been through this case for about five years it, it's it's definitely been an extensive journey um so like I said they're, they're very hopeful that that the outcome they've been, they've been fighting for will will come to fruition um I think that It's an experience that a lot of reporters, uh, especially in the College of Journalism here at UF, um, should experience. Um, It was a great, great uh, in the field uh, journey.
3: Um, Could you talk a little
2: bit about what the next steps will be and what we could um, expect to see? Is there any estimate on when that decision might come out? So I had spoken, i had asked this same question to the lawyer and unfortunately, no, the legal system is so uh, very interwoven, it's very complicated. So there's definitely not a say or um, a way that we could estimate when a decision would be made. Um, other than the fact that we can just hold hope, I know I kind of touched on it earlier, but you asked how I how I came to find this piece. Um, it definitely was uh, an ongoing uh, investigation, or I would I wouldn't call it an investigation, but it was it was an ongoing follow up story t- to to the the transgender woman. Um, she she did not. Uh, her family chose not to disclose her name, but she is from Broward County, and and the case is temporarily suspended. But she's still going to be rising into high school, and and the case is is inconclusive. Uh, so so we're not sure if she's going to be able to have that opportunity, um, and we're not sure what 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 this means for the future of of transgender and for the transgender community and and their civil rights, whether it be at school or or anywhere. Um, I think this is an important inflection point that, that we're going to see how, how this will, will change things in the course of the next couple, probably a couple weeks or a couple months, a couple years. We don't know.
0: Make sure to join us again next week when we'll be showcasing the best stories from WUFT News. The Rewind is produced by me, Melissa Fato, Sarah Mandile, and Malia Leiden. Our executive producer is Sky LeBron. WUFT News is operated out of the College of Journalism and Communications at the University of Florida. I'm Mariana Spruu. Thank you for listening.